people are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? That was 16-year-old Swedish environmentalist Greta Thunberg speaking at the United Nations Climate Action Summit earlier this week. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm Zadie Stavely, sitting in for John Fensterwald, who's away this week. Well, shortly after Greta made those remarks at the United Nations, the whole issue of climate change has been drowned out by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's decision this week to open an impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump. We'll talk about impeachment a little later in the program, but this week we're planning to focus on the extraordinary outpouring of youth activism in California and nationally over the last week or so, as young people took to the streets to protest adult inaction on climate change. Some of our colleagues at EdSource were in San Francisco last week, and they recorded young people shouting things like, We'll also look at how environmental literacy is being taught in California schools. But first, we are happy to have in the studio with us Isha Clark. She was a participant and leader in the protest here in California. She's 16, just the same age as Greta Thunberg, and a senior at MetWest High School in Oakland. She's a leader in a group called Youth vs. Apocalypse. Welcome, Isha. Thank you for having me. Well, Isha, you've become a prominent activist on the climate change front here in the San Francisco Bay Area and in California. Tell us, how did you get involved in this issue? I started with climate justice three years ago. I was a freshman. I was 13. And I was invited to an action through a different organization that I was a part of called JICA and Jewish Youth for Community Action. And the action was targeting Phil Tagami, who's a very prominent developer in Oakland, who is trying to build a coal terminal through West Oakland. And they wanted to ship coal out of Port of Oakland. Yes. And is suing the city of Oakland to do so. And so the action was going to his office and delivering a letter to it was really a scroll we had a theme it was called christmas in june and there was a scroll that basically had a bunch of signatures from kids all through oakland and it was saying we don't want coal for christmas and we had like little elf hats on it was really funny (laughs) um and and you were against the principle of the thing because they weren't talking about burning coal in oakland but to ship it right but the problem was that you can't close the containers when you're shipping coal because it's a um, a hazard. So the coal dust would get into the air. And he was trying to put it through West Oakland, which is a predominantly low-income community of color that's already struggling with a lot of health issues like asthma and lung cancer that are tied to unhealthy air quality, and it would worsen that. And on top of that, if it's being shipped, it's going to be burned somewhere, and that affects us as a global community. So it was a problem on, or it is a problem on a number of fronts because that fight's not over actually. So Isha, you were also involved in a demonstration at Senator Dianne Feinstein's office where you and a number of other youth activists confronted the senator about trying to get her to endorse the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. And that got quite a bit of 
yeah. publicity. <laughs> yes. She said, you come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. She also said that the Green New Deal was too expensive and that it wouldn't pass the Senate and um, that we weren't going to turn this around in 10 years and all of these other things, which, I mean, I understand the fear behind those words, but we're facing an apocalypse, literally, and it's going to be a bold, pricey thing that's going to be needed to get us out of that. And so we can't continue on this course of politics that says, you know, business first, like reality later, like the reality is that we're facing extinction, that our planet is dying. And so regardless of how our politics work or any of that stuff, we need to make real bold change. What would be the best thing that adults could do to actually take bold action? I think for power holders, just continuing to push for bold action and for adults who maybe don't have as much quote-unquote power to be paying attention and voting in people who are going to take bold action on climate and further pushing even Democrats on what they're doing. You know, Senator Feinstein is a Democrat. She's been super liberal and progressive and powerful in the Senate and she still could have gone further. And so I think it's important to note that and just do as much as we can. We're talking with Isha Clark. She's a senior at Midwest High School in Oakland. She's a leader and activist on climate change. Well, Isha, how typical are you of your generation? Do you feel you have most of your peers on your side or is there still a long way to go? That's a great question. We just had the September 20th climate strike. And in the Bay Area, there was around 30,000 people there. And what was so beautiful about that crowd was I went there and I saw all of these young people from various areas of my life that weren't connected to activism at all. It was like, oh, I went to middle school with you and I went to preschool with you and I've seen you at the bus stop. And it was like every day, really every day, Bay Area teenagers were in the street for this issue this collective fear and drive and so I think that a lot of young people really do care about this and really do want to do something about it and do have the ability to raise their voices and talk about this and have some role in the movement whether that's doing interviews or fundraising or creating art and posters or reaching out to people you know there's so many different roles in this movement and I genuinely do think that every person can be a part of it and I see that young people are starting to get that and really wanting to be involved. My daughter's in fifth grade here in Oakland, mm -hmm. and she was following Greta Thunberg across the ocean in her sailboat um, with her class and with her teacher and learning about climate change. I'm interested in knowing what your experience in school has been around climate change. Mm -hmm. Did you learn about climate change in elementary or middle school or, or high school? No. No, we did not talk about climate change at all. The first time that I really... I think learned about climate change and realized its magnitude was on that first action that I did targeting Phil Tagami. I did want to ask you that there's a lot of despair and hopelessness about what is happening right now and also a feeling that maybe it's too late. Is this something that you have to contend with amongst young people? 
you know, I think the difference between young people who are scared and adults who are scared is that a lot of young people are feeling this fear and frustration with where we are, but we're turning that into drive to do something about it. And I think that I see more of the despair slowing people down when they're adults. And so I think that's why we're one of the many reasons why young people are leading this movement because I think we're channeling all of our emotions into action because we recognize that if we stop, then exactly what we're afraid of is going to come to pass. And so our only option is to keep fighting as hard as we can to make sure that this doesn't happen. We could have been born into any time in history and we were born right now in this time where we have this very small window to do something to stop this catastrophic change. And it's true that people have already lost their lives because of this climate crisis. People have already lost their homes and loved ones. And so it's already here, but we have an opportunity to stop it and reverse some of the damages. But after this small window, there's really nothing that we can do. We've been talking with Isha Clark. She's a senior at Midwest High School in Oakland, also a leader in Youth versus Apocalypse. Thanks for talking with us today, and thanks for your work in helping to save the planet. Thank you. You know, Zadie, one of the interesting things about Isha's comments was that she said she really hadn't been taught about these issues in school. And as we've been preparing this program, we've learned that there's actually a lot going on in California schools in terms of integrating these topics into the so-called frameworks as a blueprints for a number of different subject areas like science, social studies. Along those lines, we're very pleased to have on the line Karen Cow. She's the CEO of 10 Strands, an organization that is promoting environmental literacy in California schools. Welcome, Karen. Nice to be here. Karen, can you just give us a brief definition of what is environmental literacy? There's a number of definitions of it, but at 10 Strands, we've grounded our work in California's environmental principles and concepts that were actually articulated as far back as 2004 through a bill that was authored by Senator Fran Pavley. They're big environmental ideas where we work with students to help them deeply understand the interdependence of uh, of human social systems and natural systems. We're just trying to get a sense of how typical the Isha Clarks are and how much further do we have to go to engage young people on climate change and related issues. Ever more typical is, is, is what I'd say in terms of the total number of young people who showed up to March, kicking off last Friday and then into this week. In terms of how far we have to go, I think our young people have spoken. This is the issue of their times and they want to show up in their local communities and be active around this issue. And what we need to do in the education community is to support them to do that. I feel very lucky that we're doing our work in California because from the governor to the State Board of Ed to the California Department of Ed right into our system of support for education, this work is entirely supported through our standards, particularly the next generation science standards that attend to this. I did notice that last year, Governor Brown signed a bill that your organization sponsored around environmental literacy, Senate Bill 720. What was that? What is it supposed to do in California schools? 
SB 720 directs the state superintendent of public instruction, district superintendents and their school boards to support environmental literacy. It codifies our environmental principles and concepts into the education code. And then it pulls core ideas that California has a blueprint for environmental literacy that's different to these environmental principles and concepts, but embeds them. But it pulls big ideas from the blueprint for environmental literacy related to curriculum and instruction, professional development, student assessment, partnering with community-based organizations into ed code. And then it articulates a process for uh, modifying the topics that are covered by the environmental principles and concepts in the public resources code. And so we were able to successfully add climate change and environmental justice in the bill that Governor Brown signed at the Global Climate Action Summit. To clarify then, is environmental literacy and issues like climate change, are those now part of the school curriculum in California? Are teachers and schools expected to teach those topics? Yes. And what kinds of questions do you get from teachers about how to do that? Mostly it is about content knowledge and trusting the information that they're in receipt of because there's a lot of climate misinformation out there. And mostly it's about building confidence in teachers to, you know, on the one hand, explore the expression of climate change through the standards. And on the other hand, introducing them to instructional materials that have been vetted by the Instructional Quality Commission and the state Bo- and approved by the State Board of Ed. We're talking with Karen Cow. She's CEO of 10 Strands, an organization that's promoting environmental literacy in California schools. So just one other point of clarification. So these topics would be taught through either science courses, history, social studies courses, or the health units that schools have to teach? Yes, explicitly because of the ways in which we've woven this into those frameworks, but you can also make connections to other subjects as new frameworks come up. So for example, we're beginning to look at the visual and performing arts framework, and we're at the very beginning of looking at the math framework as well as it as it cycles through in its new round. Well, fascinating. I think most people are not aware of the fact that this is now part of the California school curriculum. You know, one of the things I'm wondering whether you find these topics are ones that are very likely to engage students, that this is something that they realize affects them and will affect them much more directly as adults, uh, given the way things are going. Well, I think that's right. And, you know, it's interesting because we had one of our consultants that we've worked with for a long time examine, well, he, he, he basically integrated these environmental principles and concepts into the frameworks. And When he looked at all three of them together, the message is clear that what we, the state, are interested in is having our students engage in inquiry-based practices that lead to action in their local communities. Can you give us some examples of what teachers can do to teach climate change or environmental science in, in a more engaging way? Yeah, so a lot of the work that we do is in partnership with the educator community. So we have a relationship with the California Science Teachers Association, and I'll give you an example of what we're doing with them. We supported them last year to run their first ever climate summit at their annual conference. And so before that summit, they had cadres of teachers meet with climate scientists to create grade level units of study that they then turned into short courses that were shared with 
the population of teachers who came to their annual conference. And those grade level units of study were A, focused on climate change as a topic and linked directly to our new science standards, but were very place-based, based on where the teacher cadres lived and where the climate scientists lived. And mostly in that case, where they were working with scientists from Scripps. That's just one example. Greta Thunberg, in a very dramatic, powerful comments at the United Nations this week, kind of said that kids are the ones who are having to teach the older generation about these issues. And she said, that's not right. Do you see that that's the case, that, that kids are the ones who often are taking these messages back to their parents? I think that's absolutely right. Kids are often taking these messages back to their parents. And what we can do in the education community through all of the ways in which we've chosen to support it, especially in California, is support them in doing that. Something I have not yet mentioned that I do want to touch on, especially as it relates to the health framework, but also as it relates to the kind of things that students express interest in, is uh, environmental justice issues within their communities as they themselves start to explore the environmental topics that intrigue them. And we've seen this happen over and over again in some of the work that we've done with school districts and uh, county offices of ed. And, you know, just give a quick shout out to Rialto Unified School District in the Inland Empire, who just won a national award for this work. And then some of the county offices of ed that have really, really uh, aggressively pursued working with our young people in this area, uh, Santa Cruz, San Mateo, San Joaquin, Orange County Department of Ed and others. Wow. Well, it sounds really impressive, and um, your organization is obviously playing a key role. We've been talking with Karen Cow, CEO of Ten Strands. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It was really wonderful to, to speak with you, and, and thanks for paying attention to this issue. Well, Lewis, we can't end this podcast without talking about the elephant in the room, impeachment. Well, that's true, Zadie. Lewis, I understand you covered the impeachment hearings the last time a president was impeached. Is that right? That is correct. I was a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle in Washington, D.C. I covered the impeachment hearings and I covered the trial in the Senate and sat there for several weeks and observed how the whole impeachment issue really pushed all other issues off the table. And that is something that is of concern. I mean, certain issues like climate change that we've been talking about, where the president has not only been missing in action, has really been trying to reverse some major policy initiatives, the Paris Climate Accords, amongst others, and uh, taking on California, trying to reverse the agreements with automakers around controlling emissions, all these issues really are the ones we should be discussing, but we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Ukraine and uh, whistleblowers and so on. Not to say that those aren't important, but I also have concerns about issues on education that uh, we really care about at EdSource, but it's going to be tough to focus attention on those issues. Well, then it'll be up to EdSource then to keep these things on the table. And I do have to say one of the great things about being in California we have a legislature that uh, seems committed to education reform, a governor, lots of people in school districts, activists around the state who are moving the state in the right direction on education reform. So uh, we feel fortunate to be here and we will cover these issues regardless of how much distraction is posed by the impeachment hearings. Well, that wraps it up for this week's podcast. 
Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Music from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and our own Justin Allen. Thanks to our producer, Kobe McDonald. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm Sadie Stabley. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.